And over time, I often see people start with really big, like eight page long relationship agreements. And then over time, they become looser because there's that trust that's being established, the trust in self, the trust in partner. As there's deeper trust because we're being way more intentional, our communication skills are improving through this, we're becoming closer, we're becoming more vulnerable. The relationship agreement becomes smaller and smaller and may even go down to like one or two lines of how we trust and love each other. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness. Realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So with that, I want to introduce our guest today, Ari Cardos. Yay! And the Huffington Post has said that Ari is an honest breath of fresh air in helping relationships grow with strong, positive communication and teaching people to co-create the relationships they desire. So Ari Cardos is one of the most highly referred relationship coaches globally, working with clients across six continents, ranging from top tech executives to Hollywood celebrities to world champion athletes. She is known for her passion for helping powerful people create even more powerful relationships. Ari is the author of the best-selling book, Relationship Agreements, a simple and effective guide for strengthening communication, reducing conflict, and increasing intimacy to design your ideal relationship. Oh, so juicy. (laughs) Her specialty is helping people in relationships create more connection, empowering you to have more passion, deeper intimacy, eradicate fighting, and live fuller, more authentic lives than you ever imagined. Ari is a former leadership development professional at Amazon.com. She received her MBA in global leadership from the number one international business school in the world. And she now lives in Bali, Indonesia with her husband, Jamin Patel, who we had on the show last week, and their two amazing children. Ari provides private and group online coaching sessions to clients all around the world, In addition, she offers in-person facilitated retreats and fully guided intensives to help individuals and couples create the relationships and life they desire. Woohoo! Whoa, (laughs) Erie! I'm so excited to just explore all of these threads that I feel like are so alive. I mean, always, but especially now with COVID. Um, So I really want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. So excited and honored to be here. Yes. So, you know, before we started this show, we talked a little bit about Esther Perel, who's sort of a world-renowned therapist, author, speaker. She loves to be in the relationship space as well. And, you know, this pandemic has been about life-death cycles, metaphorically, Mm. literally, Um, and I can't think of a better place to start than with relationships, which has been you know, probably shifted in big ways, especially during current times. And we're always in relationship to not just ourselves, but to everything and everyone else. Mm -hmm. And Esther Perel, she shared in a recent interview um, about COVID and relationships, and she had this quote to say, so just to center us, she says, we are living with a sense of mortality that is hovering over us, not just in terms of the physical lives, but the loss of the world that we have known. And when you feel that life is short, you kind of see, what am I waiting for? It throws the superfluous overboard and you say, let's have babies. Let's be together. Let's get married. Or you say, life is short. I've been waiting long enough. And then you say, open the door and let me out of here. Right? It can swing both ways. We've always said more divorces, more babies in pandemics and in disaster periods. And this is one of those. Yes. That was the full quote. So just to start, like, in terms of this quote, does this surprise you that divorce and separations have gone up during COVID? 
What do you really feel like is going on behind closed doors during this lockdown? Yeah, I don't even need to feel, I can tell you, <laughs> because I get to be behind the closed doors, which is really an honor. Um, and I work with clients all over the world. Majority of them are based in the U.S., and there's so much going on with COVID in the U.S., especially. I mean, it's global, but the way that the U.S. in general is taking on the stress and handling things is, is definitely adding to the pressure cooker. That is oftentimes relationships. <laughs> and so what I'm seeing across the board is this extreme dichotomy. It's, okay, are we using this pressure to really strengthen us? Or are we using this pressure to be like, wow, this is, a, this is now my time to get out? And how do we handle that? And do we, can we do so from a conscious place out of love? Or are we doing so to finally break free of whatever that thing is? And what I am noticing so much more than years before, it would be many clients would come to me, some being proactive of, okay, I want to, something just doesn't feel, feel like we get better at relationshiping, if you will. And so how do we do that? And it was fun. And then there was this um, swing where now where I'm seeing many more people being like, we're on the brink of destruction. Like, what do we do? Because there's so much put on us right now around fear and we have to spend more time together. And in the past, maybe we were busy professionals. We would come home, we'd see each other for that dinner, but then we'd go back to work. But now we're working in the same space. And all of a sudden we don't have our, our safety nest, if you will. Um, or if you're home with the kids, now you've got all of their energy and all of their relationships that are constantly in your face. And how do you manage that? And so there's a lot more tension that people are going through a lot more stress. And I think it's adding to this fuel of, I need to be alone or I need to figure out who I am. I need to get what I need to survive. Like it's tapping into our survival instinct in a way that we just haven't had to experience before, especially for a culture that is so based on individualism and not the collectivistic thoughts. And we don't know how to operate in community. We're hungry for community, but we're oftentimes so blown away by what do we do with it? How do we be in that world? So now we're thrown into this new environment, like you need to be in community all the time. Do you know who you are and how you can be autonomous? How you can just be yourself in that space? Or we're thrown into the other side where there's so many people who are alone and they're and they just feel that angst of like, wow, I am so in touch with my aloneness. And this is the scariest thing possible. And what I <laughs> what's funny is those those emotions are rippling through all the groups. I am so alone. Doesn't matter if I'm surrounded by people or I'm completely isolated. I am so alone and I'm so lonely. What do I do with this? And then we're looking at what are your what are the core wounds that are really showing up in this space and having to recognize, wow, I've got my own baggage. My partner or partners have their own baggage. What do I do with all of this? And now the question comes up, right? And Esther was spot on. It's like, well, what do you want to do? And how can you do so from a place where you feel grounded in your decision and you're doing it for healthy reasons and it's going to lead you to what you really want? Do you know what you really want? Or is it just a reaction to get out of the current situation and you're just going to jump from one boiling pot of water to another boiling pot of water? Because we didn't actually choose to undo the thing that we've been stuck in. 
I I think I'm not sure where he got it, but my husband has said that we're constantly either in pattern or in practice. And so at any point in time, if we just freeze frame and look at our lives, are we in pattern? The thing that we always do that kind of works or doesn't work, but we always do it and it feels kind of comfortable, even comfortable in the discomfort. Uh, or are we in practice where we're choosing to make a conscious shift into what we actually want to change and be? And so whether that's as a, as a couple or an individual, it doesn't matter because even as a couple or even as people in relationship, whatever your structure may be, it's also taking that apart and looking at relationships are made up of individuals and so many people avoid being in relationship with themselves. And what a beautiful, hard, challenging, screwed up time to be really challenged and invited to be like, what does it mean to be in relationship with yourself? Wow. I love that pattern or practice and that loneliness is just the signal for, hey, like peel back the layers. And I think it was Esther, too, who shined a light and said loneliness is the number one public health issue in the U.S. ahead of obesity. Yes. And like you said so eloquently, these times of crisis are just shining a spotlight on what was otherwise a little bit easier to distract from beforehand. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that you created this amazing thing called Love on Lockdown, which I want to explore <laughs> in just a bit. But just to kind of give people a little bit of context about your journey from, um, yeah, corporate leadership development to whole person coaching and facilitating and just really um, helping someone navigate their whole self. I know you've shared this on a few shows already, but just to give our audience an idea of this, um, I'd love to know why and how did you make that big leap from that world to this world? Yeah, yeah, it was a big leap and it was the right thing. Um, so while I was at Amazon, I loved my job. It was such a the perfect place for me to be at the perfect time. And I really got to flex my muscles of how can I be a good coach for leaders and one of the things that I, I learned was that over time, once trust was established with the leaders, with my leaders, then then things would come out that weren't the usual, oh, yeah, well, we're not having a good ROI. Okay, let's look at this. Let's go a little bit deeper. And they would shut the door and they would say, Ari, I want to, can I talk to you about this thing? Can I talk to you about how I'm feeling at home? Can I talk to you about how my marriage is falling apart? Can I talk to you about how lonely I'm feeling. I work all the time and I can't find somebody. Mm -hmm. I want a family, I want a partner, I want, but it was, there was just this separation, this loneliness underneath it all, even with these top executives. And, and it's like, oh, wow. And because my coaching is in a very holistic approach, I was able to integrate a lot of that into, all right, well, what needs a shift in that area? And then let's see what kind of impact it has. Is there any correlation between how happy you feel at, in your personal life and your relationships and with work. Mm -hmm. And there was every time, every time. If somebody is happy and they feel loved, if people feel loved, seen, and heard, magic happens. Mm -hmm. And so if that was happening in their relationships, they would bring that into work and they would be able to love, see, and hear their teams better. There'd be more clarity on what strategies are most creative and will really push the boundaries and get the best results. It was so incredible to see how much heart showed up and how much aliveness was present instead of the da daily grind. 
So for me, it became really evident that it's like, I can have a huge organizational impact in a way that really lights me up if I focus on the relationship aspect. And so while I was working at Amazon, I decided it would be really exciting to work on the weekends too or in the evenings on what I'm passionate about. So I went through a coaching program while at Amazon on my own and then came back and started coaching people at Amazon, but then also uh, getting referrals. And soon I was working with leaders at Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Google, and across the board from the tech world especially, and just finding incredible results with individuals and with couples and all sorts of different relationship structures out there. Um, it was really amazing. Like, this is what I want to do. So my, my big checklist at the time was, okay, I'm going to work for corporate America. Check. Okay. I'm going to travel the world for a year and then I'm going to have children. And this was like my, my list. So I'm like, oh, I worked for corporate America. This is great. But now I want to travel. I wonder if I could continue coaching while I'm traveling. So I let all my clients know that this was going to happen and that I would be available when I'd be available. And if that was interesting, then we can try this grand experiment. And if not, then it's just a grand experiment. So I decided to leave Amazon and I traveled the world for about eight and a half months. And I was invited to speak in 15 countries across six continents and really got a chance to understand more different cultural aspects of relationshiping. And my background's in international management. So I already come in with like a curiosity to learn about different ways of connecting. But this was like hands-on experience and it was amazing. When I came back, I had kept most of my coaching clients through that period. I'd gotten to speak. I'm like, this is what I am called to do. And so I'm not going back. I chose to officially decide I'm done with corporate America. And I had already started my own business, but now I really was like, I'm just going to make this work. How do I, how do I run my own coaching practice and write a book and get ready to have kids? <laughs> like, how do I do all that? Chuck, 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 yeah. chuck, chuck. <laughs> so that was my transition. <laughs> wow. That is, um, so much to unpack from there. And um, yeah, you mentioned um, deciding, okay, this is really what I want to do. And somewhere on your website, you say in 2017, you, your husband, Jamin, and your two kids set out to full-time travel together, design a new life abroad, tied down to nowhere, and <laughs> create this new lifestyle. Yeah. So I know that's a lot of time to sort of get a glimpse into, but when you look back, what was the greatest challenge in your relationship through that transition? And maybe subsequently the greatest <sighs> breakthrough on the other side of that. Yeah, I, I would say, so the transition for us to become a full-time traveling family was easy. My husband and I are both nomads. We have been, when we met each other, I was the only woman who had been to more countries than he had. Uh, that he'd ever met. And so I had been to 48 countries at that point in time. He'd been to 47. <laughs> it's a race. <laughs> he's beat me at this. He's beating me at this current time. <laughs> that will shift. <laughs> Mark my words. <laughs> but for us to, to travel was, it, it, I think that is a really scary concept for most people, especially parents. How could I, or people who are thinking about being parents, oh, but then I would have to give up traveling. Well, traveling was in our blood always. And so for us, 
we got to this point where our our firstborn was, um, I think he was three months old when we were given the invitation where he would do a TED talk in Belgium. And I would, I was given the opportunity to run an unconference in Berlin. It was the same time period. And we looked at each other. We're like, do you want to do this? All right, let's do this. And we just sold everything and packed up the baby and the crib and the car seat. And we flew across to Europe. And on this trip, it was so mind blowing how easy it was and how our child just, it just felt like he's along, he's along with us. Like he's just part of this. And so much of the things that held that would have held us back are stories of, we can't do that. It's too hard to do that. But we let those stories go. We're like, can we have it all? How can we have it all? We had to get creative, you know, like carrying around a breast pump everywhere and like pumping on airplanes and things like that. It's a little bit creative. It's not comfortable, but children are resilient. The only thing that holds you back is yourself, I think, especially around parenting. So I think children can really adapt. And so for us, it was, all right, here we go. So you asked what the biggest challenge was. I think it's letting go of our own stories and, and really just being like, all right. So I'm noticing in myself that I'm really scared to do this. And it feels like it might be really uncomfortable. And I don't know where I'm going to buy organic goat's milk in the middle of name a random country. Mm. And okay, we'll figure it out. Especially because guess what? There are moms everywhere in the world. <laughs> there are children everywhere in the world. So what would it be like to look at this as a global community and learn the wisdom that's there and really learn, expand what our perception is of what we're capable of? And children have only expanded our awareness for sure. So in terms of relationships, though, I would say one other thing that was really hard would be baby brain. Baby brain's rough. And if I can't remember all the things, that was really challenging in our relationship. But how, how do you navigate this thing that's kind of hard to argue against, right? And so there's a lot of compassion and being with the emotions that come up of like, oh, I'm responsible for myself. He's responsible for himself and his emotions. And how do we all right, this is a crazy hard challenge for us and we're going to lean into it. So graceful. Yeah. <laughs> so elegant. <laughs> Which is a perfect shift because I want to move now into relationship agreements, which is your best-selling book that you wrote in 2016, yeah. I believe. And just to set us up for this, you know, love Esther Pearl. I'm going to bring her in again. She talks about the old world, old world models of relationship, which are very much bound in duty, rules, obligations, versus another model that's alternative that puts choice and options sort of on the table for us to look at and wonder about. So let's talk about this book, Relationship <laughs> Agreements. Tell us about I guess, what is a relationship agreement and is it for everyone? Mm, beautiful. So I love this question. <laughs> I'm sure you've gotten them a lot, but just yeah, yeah. through airy now. Yeah. So here's what I would say. Usually when I tell people that I've written a book about relationship agreements, at least one person in the room cringes <laughs> and like constricts because what we often hear is, legally binding contract that if you screw this up, there will be huge consequences. So don't screw this up. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. In fact, it's probably safer if you don't make this because then there are no agreements. So you can't screw it up. And I want you to just breathe into that. Let it go. <sighs> That's not what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> my dad's a lawyer. I did HR. I do like the magic of writing things down. However, you've probably heard of a living document. This is a living document. This is an invitation into a living document to say that, guess what? Whether or not you write this stuff down, you have agreements. You have them. Most of them are probably unspoken. Some of them are spoken. You already are operating by a set of rules and assumptions. And the problem that I see over and over again is that when people operate out of assumption and expectation, the wounds just get punched. Their own wounds. They don't, they don't even know how much they're hurting themselves because they're setting themselves up for failure. Because we're operating with another human being who has their own set of expectations and assumptions. And we don't understand because we're not them. And so if we bring it to the table and we actually talk about all the things, then it can make life so much easier. We can understand each other so much better and there's less stress and there's less conflict. And you're not always like, why do they keep doing that thing that drives me crazy? Can't they see how much it hurts me? You know, it's like, no, they, they probably can't. And so yet, and so what would it be like to allow them into that space and to shed light on what it is like for you so that they can know you better, so they can see, hear, and love you more. And then you get to learn about their experience so you can see, hear, and love them more. Wow. What's possible? <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> so this book was born out of just seeing, um, finding cultures around the world that were actually applying these concepts of saying, what if we just were given a blank canvas and we could paint anything we wanted and make this relationship ours, not really shaped by our upbringing by our caregivers, shaped by the church, shaped by the government, shaped by social media. What if it wasn't shaped by all those things? Because it is. As much as you think you're in control, somebody else influenced you and you're playing by somebody else's rules. Most of us don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. So if we said, okay, I don't want to play by their rules anymore. They're actually hurting me and keeping me confined. What do I want? What is going to be giving me the most joy? And what can I let go of? Because it doesn't really matter to me. And that can give you so much more freedom. So for example, I, a lot of things around gender roles, you know, like, oh, well, the woman is supposed to cook and provide all the food for the family, for the relationship. Men don't cook. They will be the breadwinners, right? And that's an old construct, but still it's in us. And so how do we undo that? And what if, what if my partner happens to be, happens to identify as male and he loves to cook? But now he's got this pressure that he's not supposed to. So how do we start saying, baby, I actually really love to cook. Maybe I love breakfast especially. And I'd love to, like, what would feel really good for our agreements of, can I, I really want to, like, take over Saturday morning breakfast. And that's one of the ways that I can love something I'm passionate about or want to get better at and feel like I have some expansiveness and show you what I'm up to, what I'm curious about in the world. If I want to take that on, would you be open to doing the dishes on Saturday mornings? So I have that freedom, right? And it's like, oh, making these requests so that you get to be more you. You get to be more seen, more heard, more loved. And if it's a request that you can joyfully accept, like, yeah, I get breakfast and all I have to do is dishes. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, I can commit to that. That feels really good. And then you get to joyfully show up instead of feeling like, Mm, I'm feeling resentful because I have to do the dishes or I didn't get to cook my favorite breakfast because we didn't talk about it. Now we've got it on the table. And in the moment when you're realizing that I'm starting to feel really resentful, I'm actually not enjoying these breakfasts and I don't want to participate anymore. 
guess what? It's a living document. You can go back and say, hey, hon, I'm noticing that I want to do something different for myself on Saturday mornings. And I'd like to shift our agreement. How would that feel to you? Let's talk about what our needs are, our hopes, desires, our fears around this, what might happen, right? And still like navigate those emotions because they're just emotions. And emotions are very important, but we ignore them. We put them on the back burner. We push them away. We lock them in cute little boxes in our mind. But that is where the real connection is when we can share like, I'm having this emotion. It doesn't feel very good to me, but I need to speak into it. When we speak these emotions, we allow ourselves to really feel them, then the agreements can shift and they can live and they can breathe and you can be yourself and feel free to be agile and shift with each new moment. And that's what we're all striving for all the time. It feels like is how do we be agile? How do we make it better and faster and more efficient? It's like, well, the truth is that if you want those things, you have to go inside. You have to be with the emotions. If you don't let them be in motion, then you're stuck and you feel stuck. And that's when the, these agreements feel more like legally binding contracts because you're not checking in with yourself. You're not allowing yourself to grow and change. And you're holding your partner to the same standard of who they were when you met. And that's not fair for them. And that's not fair for you. You want to grow and you want to be different and you want to expand. And sometimes you want to contract. Sometimes you're like, ooh, that, that, that agreement doesn't feel very safe to me right now. Can we bring it back into a different thing? Whatever that might be. Maybe I was taking over, I wanted to try taking over all of our finance uh, management because, you know, finances are a big deal and they can be super triggering for people. And they start doing the finances and they realize, oh my gosh, I have a lot of trauma around finances from my relationship with my mother or father. Oh my gosh, I'm starting to panic, but I should learn how to do finances, quote unquote. And so instead I'm going to reel it back and say, hey, I am noticing that I took on too much. Can we please navigate this in a different way? And it's just constantly saying, what needs to shift? What's working really well? What's not? Who are we now? And it doesn't mean you have to talk about this every day. You might go a quarter, you might go half a year, you might go a full year. I find that probably four times a year, like once a quarter is a nice time to review of like, how are things working or not working? And that could include everything. Roles around the house, finances, sex and intimacy. What does that mean to us? Are we connecting physically in a way that feels juicy for us? All right. Are we talking about the things that are really scary? Do we feel safe to talk about the things that feel scary? What's the next, what's on the horizon of like, gosh, we have got our recipe down pat for how we like to have sex. Great. And it works. But sometimes we want to try something different. What's on your horizon of like, that would be a little bit of an edge for me, but I'm super curious. Could we watch one of those $30 online videos on how to give blowjobs together, right? <laughs> it's like, what? What's possible? What's possible if we leaned in more to each other and the, the desires we have? Wow. Well, when you put it that way, it's just like making your relationship that much more intentional in all the moments, but without getting obsessed. Yes. <laughs> you know, because yes. I can see people who are like, well, I love the structure. I love the contract mind. But like, I want to make this very specific request. Am I allowed to? Is that too much? Yeah. Is this the right moment? You know, it, like you said, it's a living document, but it's almost like a guide for how to be. Yeah, it is. It and, seems like that. And what I've seen is oftentimes in relationships, there's one person who really loves structure and organization. And there's one person who's like, I need spontaneity and freedom. And so this feels like, ah. And in that situation, I, I often say, well, 
this is going to still give you the freedom to change inside. But when you establish the foundation and the structure, the other person can breathe. And so I'll give them the grace of breath of like, okay, we've got something here. We can go back and talk about it. We can change it when you need to change it. And if it doesn't feel good, then let's not agree to it. And over time, I often see people start with really big, like, you know, eight page long relationship agreements. And then over time, they become looser because there's that trust that's being established, the trust in self, the trust in partner. And as the as there's deeper trust, because we're being way more intentional, our communication skills are improving through this. We're becoming closer. We're becoming more vulnerable. The relationship agreement becomes smaller and smaller and may even go down to like one or two lines of how we trust and love each other. Mm. And who knows? And there's no right or wrong. It's wherever you are. Wow. So there was a time pre-COVID and a time post-COVID. And this is an assumption I'm making, but it would be really amazing to hear like during this time when people have gone on lockdown, when the light has been shined on all those dark crevices that people have had to look at because now they're in the same space. Now their entire lifestyle has shifted. Have you seen like a need for or a craving for relationship agreements more now mm. than before because now everything shifted and as a result, we have had to shift in this physical, emotional, mental, spiritual space? Yeah, this is a great question. I'm going to say that somehow the concept of relationship agreements has become a bit more mainstream than when I published the book. I think I was the first book officially ever out there about relationship agreements. And now you can find many more different styles and how to create them. But with this new awareness of this could help, I think people become aware that this is a great tool that may help them, but it's a tool for the symptom. Right. It's they can feel the symptoms are getting larger and louder. And now years into my work, I look back and I'm and what I see currently, especially in this COVID hot pot that's going on, is that people are the, the symptom is is the, the stuck, the stuck feeling. And they're like, how can I what do I need? Give me something. Give me a pill. Give me a get me out of this. Right. There's like this ah agitation. But what's happening for most people that I see is their core wound is being hit. And they don't know what to do with that. And they don't have the tools for going to that depth. And by core wound, I mean, we all, any human being <laughs> over the age of six, <laughs> it probably has a, experienced a core wound. And it could be something as simple as you're, you were crying in your crib when you were little and your mom was walking towards you to get you, but then the doorbell rang and she decided to get the door first. So she went to get the door and you just saw her walk away and you didn't understand what was going on and you felt abandoned whatever it was, you weren't good enough. You just didn't have the tools. And so there you are now with this deep trauma that you did not intend to happen to you. She wasn't being malicious. In most cases, the person who does gives us the core wound isn't trying to be malicious. And so it's like, all right, well, we all have this. And instead of trying to figure out all the details of like when and how, just be like, okay, I'm hurt. I've got some sort of deep core wound. And it just so happens that when we're in partnership, it comes out the biggest, especially in juicy partnerships, because we will attract someone, most likely, who will be the opposite, like the mirror of our, of our core wound. And so that means every day, intentionally, unintentionally, we are giving them little paper cuts on their core wound, and they're giving us little paper cuts on ours. And sometimes we bust out the boxing gloves and really go at it. 
but we don't understand how much this adult in front of us is actually a hurt toddler who's lonely, who just wants to be loved. And we, we can't figure it out. And the way they're there telling us that they need love feels really effing annoying. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yes! Yes! I would have to say so. <laughs> and what do toddlers do when they want their mom or dad's attention? They freak out. Mm. They like lay on the ground, they kick, they scream, they throw a tantrum. And then we grow up and we think that we are so much more mature. We're adults now. We've got this on lockdown. And then all of a sudden, our partner pushes on our core wound and we revert back into the toddler. And our way of throwing a tantrum is no longer to lay on the office floor and cry. Instead, we're going to do something that will get their attention because negative attention is better than no attention at any stage in life. This is how we feel. I'm not saying it's healthy. It's how we feel, right? So it's like, well, at least I'm getting some attention. Mommy's there now. At least she sees me. So if we go into that like men mental state of like, wow, my partner is really trying to get my attention and the way they're doing it effing sucks. This is terrible because it's hurting my toddler. And now the two toddlers are crying. <laughs> it's like, ah, who will come in and see and save the two toddlers and help them feel safe and seen and heard and loved, right? And who will do that? And it takes skills mm -hmm. to be able to together learn those tools, learn those practices, the shift you out of your pattern of injuring each other and, and triggering the toddler, instead moving into a very conscious relationship where you're helping each other heal and seeing the core wounds that are there. So I think that, yeah, the idea of relationship agreements is really important. And it's one tool for getting you deeper inside yourself to discover what is my core wound? How am I bringing that up in my life? And how am I bringing that into the relationship? How aware am I of who I am and how this is contributing to the misery and the suffering that I'm experiencing in this relationship? Because there can be more joy and more love and more acceptance because my partner is not my insert mother or father or caregiver here or whoever it was that brought that trauma to you. But it's really hard for our psyches to undo that story. So we're constantly looking for data to prove that you are not safe. They don't see you. They don't have you. And if we're constantly looking for that instead of assuming the best and also re recognizing their hurtness, we can't find each other. Oh, man, this takes a lot of work, <sighs> huh? Holistic. <laughs> How can you just solve it with like, you know, one one framework because it's the whole self being in it's relationship whole to whole world. Yeah. Um, and there's this part in your book that I might bring in at this point um, about taking Fred to the zoo. Yeah. <laughs> Which is for me, it's like making the relationship this third character in yeah. the narrative of relationship. So Fred is the name of our relationship. And I just want to read a part in your book. It's really, it's really nice and very visual. Um, you say, one of my favorite things about the concept of taking Fred to the zoo is that it serves as a reminder that it's not just about me and it isn't just about my partner. It's actually about this thing that we're creating and nurturing together. I can easily look down at a little fuzzy blue monster with compassion and forgiveness and pour extra love into building, creating, and helping guide this little one through life, almost like a child, which we were just talking about. So relationships operate in a similar manner. They need extra feeding. They need extra care. They don't just function and survive on their own. So kind of bringing it back to, you know, physical lockdown. If we can't take Fred to the zoo because we have to stay inside. Yeah. 
is there another way to take Fred to the zoo? Yes! <laughs> How? And you mentioned Love on Lockdown earlier, so this is a yes. great time to just talk about that is the concept where Love on Lockdown was born. Because I see mm, there in this pressure cooker, there's a lot more stress to be uh, be functioning all the time. And we don't want to function all the time. Sometimes we just want to fall apart. And I, I sense this, this continuous pressure to be serious in relationship. It's like you either get to go on dinner and a movie date where if you watch a, a funny movie, you get to relax into it. Usually we're like action movies or something that's like stressful. Or so you get to relax into that, but you're shutting everything off and it's not really connective. Or you have to be in conflict because something's stressful. So you're navigating yet another fight. Or there's this moment of breath where it's like, I can just do my usual day. But very rarely do I see couples being like, you know what's missing? We're not having enough fun. Like, let's have some fun together. Because if we are big toddlers, how do toddlers learn and grow and connect? By play and through play. And there was something really amazing about play. But we didn't, most of us didn't see our parents playing. Most of us didn't see our parents modeling connection very well. And so we don't have this in our brains. And in fact, schools kind of knock it out of us or numb it out of us. We're supposed to be focusing on the A's in the hard sciences and the mathematics. And while all that is somewhat important, at the same time, it's where did, where did all the skills around connection and playfulness and joy and happiness come in? And I, if you're my, if you're my clients, you'll know that I highly recommend the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And um, in it, he talks about how humans don't have any real capacity for being happy. Like we just don't have it. So we will, we will be constantly thinking about, I will be happy when. So I will be happy when I get married. But then we put all of the pressure on the wedding and usually weddings are super stressful, but maybe not. Maybe your wedding was perfect and you're in this blissful state. And the next day you're like, oh my gosh, that wedding was incredible. I'm married. And then like a couple hours later, you'll start thinking about, oh my gosh, but this is costing us so much. Maybe we shouldn't have gone here for our honeymoon. And right, it's like we start thwarting ourselves. The happiness has to be dissipated because we're so uncomfortable in happiness. So even though we've strived for years or a lifetime to this moment, when the moment comes, we don't have the capacity. We haven't trained for it. And so we let it go. We make it comfortable again by making us miserable again. So how can we shift that in relationships? If we're never practicing being happy and being content and being in love, we did that in the beginning. That new relationship energy is there for a reason. It's a chemical cocktail to help us feel really excited to procreate and be together. And then it wears off after like three to nine months uh, for most people. Mm -hmm. So how do we intentionally bring that in? Because we know through science that we can stimulate the same parts of the brain. And there, there's a recipe. It's a very clear recipe, but we don't talk about it. And so I designed something called nice dates. Nice meaning new, interesting, challenging, and exciting. So a date has to be new, interesting, challenging, and exciting for all the people involved in this date. <laughs> So if you usually do Netflix and dinner, that's not any of those things. So no longer can you do your go-to date. Instead, what would be new, interesting, challenging, exciting? Well, I've always wanted to take a cooking class. I've, I've always thought about learning Japanese food, how to cook Japanese food. So I'm going to go find that class. It could even be online. But you can go to experience that's even better. But right now we can't go to all the experiences we want to do. So I'm going to go take a cooking class online with my significant other. 
And together we get to learn something that's new, interesting, challenging, and exciting. And hopefully it is for both of you. And maybe you're like, I want to go skydiving. Great, go skydiving. You don't have to do that on every date. But what is it that really breaks you out of this mold of this is how we do our serious date? And this will somehow lead to intimacy and connection. You got to shake things up. And Esther Perel talks a lot about the power of mystery. And I love it. The power of mystery is so, so, so important. So I wanted to mix that in for these dates. So I created this program at the beginning of COVID when things were just starting to like, we're like, we don't know what's going on, right? We, and I just saw people starting to spin out of control. So I created Love on Lockdown as a free challenge that invited anybody in relationship to come in. And I would basically be their date dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, okay, you choose whoever's going to be the date night driver first. Date night driver is going to have the 30,000 foot view. They're going to know what's going on. And I'm going to tell them all the details of the date and they're going to take the lead. Well, the other person is going to be the co-pilot. And the co-pilot doesn't know what's happening. They're, they're just in this element of mystery. They're walking in with the commitment to be as open and curious as possible and letting go of other stories, of how things should be or should go. Let it go. And then I would be sending very specific video and written instructions to all of the date night drivers of here's what you're going to do for your date. It'll take a minimum of 30 minutes. You can do it from the power, from your own home after the kids go to sleep or when you get your last email sent, that's fine. It doesn't matter if you're super busy. The point is you're being intentional and 30 minutes in a week with your significant other should, should be doable. I say should, and I don't even mean should. I invite you to try it. If it feels like that's really hard, let's explore that some more. <laughs> Why are you doing this? What do you want out of this relationship? So um, so there'd be one date and they would go on it. And then the next time the roles would switch. So every person, every, every new date was a different person's role. So they get to take turns being the lead or the follow. And this is really important because a lot of times people get stuck in their core wounds of they never take the initiative. They never try. I feel like I have to do it. All. I have to always do it myself or the opposite. Like I can't trust my partner to pay a good date. I have to be in control, right? It's like, well, let's see what would happen if you both got equal playing field permission. And there's something really powerful about working with coaches and doing programs that gives you permission to not do the usual. And that's why, I mean, it's now been pretty much two decades that I have consistently worked with a coach or a therapist my, like every every year of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I can say that the permission that has come in has helped shape me dramatically in who I am and why I'm not afraid to do so many of these things. Because somebody has shown up and said, hey, this doesn't seem to be working for you as well as you want it to. Do you want to try this and see if it works any better? And it's like, oh, huh, didn't even know that wasn't working very well. Mm -hmm. And this feels so much better. Thanks. And if it doesn't, nope, thanks. I tried it and let it go your self and your relationships are your own. There are some patterns that I see across the world, but it doesn't mean it has to be you and it doesn't have to work for you. And you get to make it whatever flavor of relationship you want. And that's why the relationship agreement is so important because it's your flavor in that moment with the freedom to change flavors when you want. Hmm. <sighs> wow, love on lockdown, man. That sounds... Epic, really. It was really fun. We had over 600 couples join, and it was just really, it was really a joy to try it out. It was a new, new playful experiment, and watching people transform in four dates, it was crazy. 
And so now that's birthed in, in a new program, and it's called the Great Datascape. And that is a private program that couples do either with me only or in a group when, I la- when I'm running the groups. The next mm-hmm. one, I think, is in January, um, where couples get to go on this journey of several weeks with me where I'm, again, their date dumb. And they <laughs> rotate. The yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and I, they get to learn. Um, they get to do fun dates. But now I've mixed in even more science and even more tools that I know from years of doing this with hundreds and hundreds of couples around the world. I know they work. So now I get to apply these tools in a fun setting, in a fun, romantic, intimate setting with less pressure and more permission to just be playful with it instead of being like, okay, so now we have to use the conflict navigation tool right now and we're in the middle of our triggers. It's like, how about we find a fun way to integrate them and how you start flexing that muscle and really training so that when it happens, it doesn't throw you off so, so dramatically. It's really a practice. It is. And with your holistic background, like I see that you you help to reframe things that can be like sticky or hard or mm, contracting and just giving things more space. And yeah. I think, again, we didn't grow up really having models for that. So it is such a breath of fresh air. And just out of curiosity, because you've worked with couples and people in different relationship structures all around the world, just out of curiosity... Um, have you seen patterns in like in these particular cultures, like they have an easier time or Mm. these types of relationship structures generally gel more with these experiments, you know, or, or is it just kind of, we're all the same? The only big difference that I have seen so far is not, is not culturally. It is, if you ever listen to, Okay, here's my next recommendation. If you have not yet listened to Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability, it's like a six hour long talk. You can get like 40 bucks on Audible. It is some of the best training you will ever receive in your life. (laughs) So the big trend that I see is what she describes as wholehearted people. Wholehearted people can do these things, can have the relationships that they desire. They're not afraid to be vulnerable. They're not afraid to use gratitude and incorporate it into their life. They really show up for themselves and for those around them without giving a, without giving a crap <laughs> as much as the rest of us do. They're not as controlled by this inner dialogue that's constantly tearing them apart. It's the holistic. That's the holistic. Wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness. And I love Brene Brown, man. She's a, such a queen and such a again, breaks down complex topics into just wisdom that is timeless and so nourishing the moment you hear her voice. Um, And she embodies what she teaches, which I really appreciate. And so conversely, well, not conversely, because you also work with people that are, you know, maybe on the brink of a big shift in the relationship structure, just in your experience and what you've seen and what you've also been through, what do people, or no, when do you think a relationship is worth fighting for still? Or when you hit that edge and you're like, I don't know if I'm growing in the ways that I want anymore. Consciously, right? Because you bring yeah. such a conscious lens into the space of shifting, transitioning, whatever word you want to use for that, breaking up divorce, separation. But like, how do you navigate that precipice? Yeah, yeah. It's a big one, right? Yeah. I wish there were an easy answer. I'm like, yeah, you just you just know, and then it's done. And then you're like, okay, cool. 
Um, there's a really, another great resource. Um, I love this woman and I am just honored to, to have had some beautiful email correspondence with her, but Catherine Woodward Thomas wrote, um, a, a book called Conscious Uncoupling. And she and I play in the same field with amazing peers like the Gottmans and Esther Perel. And, um, her, her book Conscious Uncoupling is just so beautifully put. And there's some great questions and practices in it that help answer those questions, I believe. But for me, the simpler, the more simple answer is, do you really know what you want? And are you, are you authentically showing up and living for you? Are you able to prioritize yourself and speak from a place of love and truth that this is what you need? And then hear your partner or partner's truth of what they need while assuming the best. And I think oftentimes when we start to not work well together, it's because we're being triggered. And there's this beautiful chance of, okay, now we get to explore what are these traumas, what's there. And I find that when all the people involved in this relationship are really exploring that and doing their own work and owning it, I think the one of the models we were often given as children is that there's this big pie. It's like 100% of the pie and an incident happens or a situation occurs and we have to divvy up how much is my fault and how much is your fault. So... The situation happened. This is obviously 80% your fault and only 20% my fault. So I'm going to go do 20% of the work because it's not really mine. All right. And, and I want to change that paradigm and say any situation that occurs in a relationship, there are actually two pies. You're responsible for 100% and they're responsible for 100%. And so what does that mean if the whole situation that you're in right now is your responsibility? What can you take responsibility for? What can you shift? What needs a change in you if you want to see the change in the relationship? And if you don't want to do that work and you're like, screw this, this is not worth it to me. I don't want to do that self-work, at least not in this container. Fine. But I will tell you, this is a life pattern. It will follow you into the next relationship and it might not show up for many years, but it will show up again. And then what will you do? And, and if your partner is, is like, I am getting this, this is my 100% and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to go do my support groups or see my own coach or see my own therapist or whatever it is, but I'm really going to dig into this and I'm going to own what I can in parallel with you. Then I say, there's still some really beautiful juiciness to keep going deeper together so that you're actually doing the transformation. It may not be comfortable, but you're going to learn and grow together. I have to put a little asterisk here because there's a difference between healthy relationships that can do this and like abuse. Right. And so if you're in an abusive relationship, no, it's this is talk to a professional. This is probably time to get out if there's physical abuse, unless there's a really big shift in, in things stopping. But addictions and abuse are a different ballgame. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm. OK. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. And, you know, I just that image of like it's 80% not my fault, 20% your fault, quantifying it, trying to be right, trying to find an excuse, right? Versus being like, it's not about being right. It's about being in wholesomeness and understanding and like taking responsibility and really just showing up for yourself so you can show up in the Fred or the relationship, right? And it's just also a really good message for people who are not in relationship, right? Because by doing that work, you are more likely to set yourself up for success. Oh my gosh, yes. If and when you want that relationship. If and when you want it. I actually have a singles program called Ready for Love, which is just about that. And I work with a lot of individuals in private coaching setting just around that. It's like, how do we get ready for that? 
Mm-hmm. Even if it's in the tricky, the, the surprise part is ready for loving yourself in a deeper level. Because that's really what it comes down to is can you really be in it and be with your emotions and be okay with there's parts of yourself that are not pretty and they're not sparkly and they actually stink a lot. So what do you do? You know, and can I can I love all of me in that place? Because it shifts so much. And I, one of the things I wanted to share, because this resonates with a lot of people, I think, is that the core wounds, oftentimes what I see paired, not always, but at least the clients who come to me, I attract a lot of clients who one person's core wound is I'm not good enough. And the other person's core wound is it's not safe to be authentically me. And that pairing is really deadly and juicy. Like it can lead you to the next level or it can destroy you. And um, and so what I often see happen is this: they, these people are operating in this place of trying to take care of themselves and their relationship. They don't quite know how to. So I'll tell you a quick story, like real life me (laughs) story. So Jamin and I are pretty open about the fact that we don't do anything perfectly and that we're always learning and we screw things up. (laughs) And I'll give you an example. This happened about two weeks ago. He was on an important client call and he had sent me a text uh, right just before. He was like, oh my gosh, I can't find my water bottle. Can you please bring me some water? And he loves his water bottle and he carries with him everywhere. So I went searching all over the house. Actually, I had to rewind. Here's where I was. I had just put our kids down to nap. I was exhausted and just wanted to have time to take a nap. So I'm like getting my robe on, laying down, putting on my mood music. I'm like, I'm going to just sleep for 30 minutes and be so good. And then I get this text, I can't find my water bottle. And I'm like, gosh darn it. He can't find his water bottle. And I'm in this point of like, do I choose me and my self-care? Or do I choose for him? And if my core wound is I'm not good enough, then I want to be good enough. And a good enough wife would sacrifice herself for the water bottle. But I know that. I know enough about myself to be like, do I really want to make that choice? And I looked at the clock and I'm like, I actually have 10 more minutes than I thought I would have. I can get the water, get it down to him, and still have plenty of time to do the things that I need for my self-care. So this feels in alignment with me. Great. I can honor both of us. So I go, I can't find his water bottle anywhere. So I decide to fill up a glass of water, take it downstairs to him. I get really uncomfortable when I'm coming in to like interrupt in a meeting because I feel like it's like a breach of confidentiality, even though I'm there for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, okay. So I I like sneak in and I'm on, I'm on guard and I look across and, and like four feet away from him is his water bottle. He just doesn't see that he put it across the room on the table. And I look at the water bottle and I look at him and I'm so annoyed. And I, and he just like sheepishly smiles, but he's like in this thing. So I, I decided the best thing to do is to give him his water bottle and the water because I need to just get out of here. So I get, put both down the floor, leave, go take my nap. It was glorious. He comes upstairs later that night. He's like gritting his teeth. He's like, just out of curiosity, why did you leave me a glass of water? (laughs) I'm like, and now I'm like, all my good girl is triggered. I'm like, because because I wanted you to have abundance. <laughs> like, that sounds like a nice answer, right? <laughs> uh, and, and he just got so annoyed. And it turns out that the water glass, he didn't know I left that other water glass. And of course, it spilled when he stood up and went all over his power box and everything. So it was a mess. And for me, it was like, as my core wound is being not being good enough, I was trying so hard to do all the right things to give him more than like to be really pleasing, right? And to but also to meet my own needs. And, and then 
something happened. I triggered his core wound in, in the process. Because if his core wound is, it's not safe to be me. I know from years of marriage that my husband loves things in a particular way. And if he says, I want my water bottle, he means I want my water bottle. I don't want a glass of water. I don't want three water bottles. I don't want your water bottle. I want my water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) And if I really knew him, if it was really safe for him to be him, I would have known that. And I wouldn't have even considered leaving a glass of water with the potential of spilling because he knows I don't even, he doesn't like a glass of water. Whoa. That's deep. It's deep. It was just a glass of water. And that's one occurrence out of many. And we were able to, with our tools, find that what just looked like a glass of water that we could have exploded in of like, you don't love me and you don't, right? Like, why do I feel so hurt? It became an exploration of, wow, how did we trigger each other this time? And what can we do to hear each other's story and really love on the toddler that was feeling really scared or hurt in that moment? Because both of us went back into our toddler. Okay, now we've got this. And wow, it turns the situation which would have resulted in lots of resentment. Screw you, I'm never getting you a glass of water again, right? Or I can't trust her to get me water. I'm never going to ask her again, right? Instead of the resentment, the story's building to um, solidify our, it's better for us to be alone and to end this. Instead, we're pulling apart those stories to find out how can we grow together and transform together so we don't model this for the next generation, so we don't continue living in suffering, so we can actually find more ease and joy. Yeah. What a deconstruction. I know. <laughs> just one cup of water. <laughs> just a cup of water. But man, it just makes me think that, I mean, you you guys individually have done so much work on your own to even have a language for this, yes. let alone to act on the language yes. and the frameworks <laughs> and the agreements. But think about how many billions of people around the world don't have these skills. Yeah. And they don't even know what's going on when that glass of water comes and all of a sudden core wounds are activated and it's just these imprints, right, that keep compounding of like, oh, like resentment. Let me just push this under the rug. And and no wonder we see, you know, relationships falling apart at the rates that we do. And um, I mean, to sort of build on that, I I love that you gave that example. And I think it's really cool to get this inside look into how you embody the things that you're teaching people all over the world to do. Yes. And um, so you gave me an example and I would love to know just in present day, like, can you just give us a little flavor of what your agreements look like with Jamin or just the one that's most alive for you right now since COVID, one that you have to shift into. Maybe it was like really scary, but you're like, man, this must really work because I can still use this tool. Yeah. We actually attended a six-day leadership training about a week or two ago. And through the training, it was really about, it was really about, mm, how do you put it? It was really about knowing yourself and going to that scary place and leaning into your own fears and understanding and accepting all of you. It was super beautiful. And at the end of these six days, we had we were invited to share, like, what is this mantra? What is this thing for your life and who you want to be? And I feel like that is not who you want to be, who you are. And I feel like that is so much of, those are our relationship agreements. Because agreement I have with myself, it's agreement he has with himself. And it's what we're trying to live every day in the world. And for him, it's, it's very simple. I am me. And it touches on all the things, the core wounds, 
how he shows up in the world, the incredible impact he's having globally, how he is with me, he gets to feel safe being him, how he is in front of our children, he's just him. And just him is incredible. And it sounds really simple, but that is so deep. And it even goes back to like his childhood and that wasn't safe for him to be him before. And now it is. So how can he own it? And for me, mine is very clearly trust and love. How can I continuously be leaning in and trusting that? Trusting that love has got me. And so anytime I do or say something that is from that place of fear, it's going to, or trying to please or whatever it is that I don't feel like I'm trusting love. Something in me knows that there's, there's that wobble, something that's off balance. So whenever I can notice that, that wobble, I'm like, oh. So these are our agreements. It's an agreement for myself. I'm going to trust in love. And his agreement is it's, he's going to be him. And if we're really living that and assuming the best in each other and assuming the best in the world, which is a really nice way to live, because <laughs> we usually assume the worst. We're like, you're dumb. But, <laughs> but they're, my partner is doing the best he can with the tools he has and the life experiences he has. And if I could just assume that he's actually doing something from a place of awesome, totally twist my story inside of me trying to tear him apart and make him less than. And so he's being him and he's doing the best he can. That's way easier to love than all the stories I'm building up to keep us distant, to keep us from being intimate, to keep us from being vulnerable. And if I am really trusting in love, then I'm constantly really leaning into the, the discomfort and undoing the patterns that I learned growing up and really loving on myself and knowing that's that's going to lead me to exactly where we want to go. Mm-hmm. And those are our agreements with ourselves and with each other. Wow. Well done. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you make it sound so simple, but behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. And I want to, I, I get this a lot. People are like, yeah, but you did all this stuff for like two decades. I'm like, yeah, okay. I hear that. And I have like eight week programs that take people on a fast, intense journey that gives you all the best of these tools in a playful and fun way so that you can have the best of all that I learned. It won't take you 20 years it'll take you eight weeks. So you can still have it. And it doesn't have to be all of that. It doesn't mean that you can't change or you can't know the things that I know. And so I want to like take away that story of like, yeah, but I'm not her. I'm like, at the core of it, we're all human. At the core of it, we've all got our wounds. And I understand those very well. And you probably do too. (laughs) Right? Right. So Right. Instead of spending more time watching Netflix or spending more time focusing on any other vice, like let's take some time to be with the discomfort and really learn and heal so that we can have happier lives, happier relationships, happier children. And uh, yeah, it's, it goes back to the holistic, you know, working on yourself has ripple effects into mm. relationship with all things and beings. Yeah. And going back to the nice dates, new interesting, challenging, challenging, exciting. Yes. What does a nice date look like for you and Jamin? Yeah. So we, great question. So we love finding new experiences. So one of my favorite things to suggest people, I guess would be mostly pre-COVID, but they have a lot online now too, but you can go on to um, like Airbnb experiences and they have all sorts of really cool experiences you could do or Groupon or you know any of these 
get a coupon for this crazy thing you've probably never done. We love doing crazy things that we've never done. Like anything new, like that's my kink. New experiences are my kink. <laughs> Give me a new experience. Yes, this is so cool. And if we get to share that together, then we get we have a story and a shared experience. So we'll be looking for things like that. Or, um, you know, since we live in Bali now, to be like, what are all the touristy things that, you know, we wouldn't normally do because we don't want to feel like tourists here. But now that COVID is happening, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to go ride an ATV. Let's do that. Like, that sounds like a crazy date. Awesome. Or if you're staying home, um, a really fun resource, you can Google yes, no, maybe lists. Yes, no, maybe lists are, there's lots of different kinds. Um, but it's basically a list of things you have tried or not tried, usually around sex. And so I'm going to tell you how I modify the lists. Yes, because a lot of times it just says something like mm, French kiss. Yes, no, maybe. And what I would say is divide it into diff- two more columns. Um, so the yes would be split into two. And it's like yes for receiving, yes for giving. No for receiving, no for giving. Maybe. And then say are there conditions? Adding a column for conditions. So... Uh, so this would be like, all right, French kissing. Oh, and also I like to the comment of, have I ever done it? Have you ever tried it before? So French kissing. Yes, I've tried it. And it's on the, to receiving, I guess I make this really complicated now that I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> I do one through five. So uh, if I'm like, yes to French kissing, I've done it before. I think about giving it. Um, I'm like, hmm, yeah, I think I would, I'd be like a five. I'd really want to give I would like to stick my tongue in somebody's mouth. But in terms of receiving, I don't really like that. I'm like a one. I'd be open to it. So yeah, I'm open to it, but under this condition. So then I'd say, you know, as long as you've had a breath mint, right? And that's my condition. So now I got this thing and you take it on your own and then you get to go through and share it with your partner and find out where are the yeses. And there, there are different ways you can, like some people are like, oh, but I don't want him to know that I've done that before right and so you can also say how do you want to share it maybe we just look have somebody else look at it and compare for us and say find all of the mutual yes we're open to experiencing that and no we haven't tried it yet Mm -hmm. or maybe we just put that list on the side and we start looking like what are your yes i want to try it lists Mm -hmm. right and how excited you are okay great so now our date night comes around we don't know what we're gonna do well let's pull out our yes no maybe list of things we've been we're both open to trying and let's try one out. Yeah, this could be fun. New, interesting, challenging, and exciting. I love these frameworks. <laughs> yeah, I love frameworks. Like pulls out the nerd in me. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you can Google yes, no, maybe lists and I make them your own. It. And just that very um, deliberate word, uh, use of the word kink. Mm. That's an interesting one. Can you just give us a little glimpse into why <laughs> of all the words you said... Why kink? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Now we have a whole other hour to talk. I know. I can tell. But maybe the little teaser. <laughs> the small medium version of why kink. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let me be clear. Kink, I'm talking about anything that is more taboo, that turns, that gets gives you pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it could be psychological. It could be physical. Um, and it's just anything that really gets you excited. And it doesn't have to be with another person. It's just on your own. How do you experience pleasure in life? And one of the really fun, this is also a fun date. Like I'm giving you guys so many dates. Another fun date. You're the dominatrix. (laughs) Now you've got like five. Um, One fun date is to uh, Google erotic blueprint quiz. This is created by Jaya. 
She's an amazing coach around sex and intimacy. You can take this quiz and there are five results. And you can find out what is your dominant result, or maybe they're all mixed. What is your partner or partner's results? And there's five of them. There's energetic, where this person will probably connect more with like Tantra. They uh, really like very light, hovery touch. They can sense when people walk into the room. These are energetics. Uh, sensual. These people are really turned on by their senses. They like having delicious chocolate. They want a massage. They light the candles. They turn on the mood music. Mm. Um, I didn't talk about the, the shadow side. So the shadow side of energetics is really like, all right, well, energetics is the higher way to go. It's the right way for intimacy. Like if you don't practice Tantra with me, then it's not right. Then you're, you don't understand me, or right? And there's a lot to be said there. That's the shadowy side. Mm. The sensual shadowy side is they can get stuck in their head. So they're like, if one detail is off, so they notice, oh, I didn't fold the laundry in the room before we started our intimate time, then they can't connect with their partner because they're thinking about, I didn't fold the laundry. Shoot, I didn't fold the laundry. I still didn't fold the laundry. And they don't, they're just not present. Mm. They spin. The third is sexual. And these people are really genital focused. And if you don't recognize their genitals, they don't feel like you see all of them. They can't be fully seen, heard, and loved. And so it's like, this is really important part of their life and how they experience pleasure. And so on the shadow side, it can also be filled with guilt and shame. Um, and sorry, that's, uh, let me correct that. On the shadow side, it can be filled with goal orientation. So it's like, all right, I need to get penetration. I need to have orgasm. I need to have ejaculation, whatever it is. And they can really be focused on that. And if they don't get it, they don't feel like they've had their pleasure. Um, the next is kink. And kink could be anything that's that taboo. It could be mental. It could be physical. Anything that feels a little bit more edgy. Mm -hmm. um, and kink is a broad, I think everybody's a little bit kinky. And so just like, what is your kink? It could be like, oh, I think it's really like, quote unquote, dirty to spank somebody. So that's my kink. Whereas a lot of people would be like, spanking? Like, we do that all the time, right? right. It's, it's not at all kinky for some people. Okay, well, you know, what about giving some, like looking somebody in a really flirtatious way across the bar. Is that kinky? Can be. Anything can be kinky. And so I was like, what is it for you? And the shadow side of that is the guilt and the shame of like, is it okay for me to desire this thing? And then finally, there's shapeshifter. And shapeshifter can play in all these other fields and they really um, enjoy it. So they can put the mood music on and they can do some spanking and they can like bringing the crystals into the room with them and right and, and, and so it's really fun they mix it all together and there's penetration right so it's like all the things happen and the shadow side usually the challenge can be that if they're not getting all of it met then they're not experiencing pleasure so if they're with just one then it's like that's not enough for me i need all the stimulation all of the above yeah i need everything so this is all jaya's work Erotic Blueprints, love her stuff. I worked with, um, we worked with her right-hand coach, Genevieve, and it was amazing for Jamin and I. And yes, coaches have coaches. Great coaches have lots of coaches. Because <laughs> we're constantly learning. We want to get better at what we do so we can help all of our clients and like help the world. This is our calling is to be students and teachers. Wow. Um, so anyways, I say kinky because this it's like what is the thing that lights you up and for me the new experiences really lights me up you want to turn me on you tell me hey you want to do this thing you've never done before i'm like yes i am there i am experiencing pleasure and it doesn't mean it has to be it can be sexual energy pleasure it doesn't have to be but i am turned on by a new experience and most of us if we want to go back to that feeling of 
new relationship energy, when we first met our beloved, we need to light up those same parts of the brain. Those same parts of the brain are around the new, interesting, challenging, and exciting. So let's light them up. Let's mm. bring in that freshness again. So we're not stuck in the mundane and wondering why it feels like we're stuck all the time. Why not? Why not? Because, <laughs> you know, City Hall didn't tell us to do it or, you know, the priest in the church doesn't mean we can't show up and really claim what our deepest desires are. And I just, I love it. It's like gamifying. It's just making, you know, the inner child light up, yeah. you know, and, and that, that inner child is always there. And I love, I love it. Thanks. Wow, so many amazing references. <laughs> um, okay, so a few more um, kind of like macro view, you know, quoting Esther Perel again because we love her. You know, some of the videos she's put out in 2020 have headlines such as why healthy relationships are hard in 2020 or why your relationship might fail during Corona times. What would be your headline for love in Corona? Hmm... I just want to, I want to give people permission to know that they, wherever they are is okay. And it makes sense wherever they are. And I think we're so stuck in this feeling of alone and nobody understands. And the more I've just listened to people all across the world, especially right now is we are, our experience is not unique. We're all feeling alone in our own way. And so in this time of Corona, especially it's okay to be you. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel all the feels. And then how can we use that to connect with others instead of isolating ourselves? Wow, spacious, yeah. very spacious. Even just naming that, it's like, oh, right, I'm not alone. Yeah. Sometimes we just forget. Yeah. And then we're like, wait, but I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> but I forgot yeah. like 10 times today. Yeah. Wow, I like that one. That's really beautiful. Yeah, and I guess sort of to round out this very dynamic and nurturing and super wise conversation, you know, we're in Bali now. It's it's a very unique situation as compared to the rest of the world. And you and your family have been here during these times, not in the U.S. where you're originally from. And what has been the the greatest thing about being in Bali during this time to really allow you to build your work and build mm. your activism in the way that you show up for your community, for your clients, for people who are really seeking new paradigms in love. Yeah. What has it been like and what are you most grateful for? Yeah. You know, being in Bali, we we often referred to Bali as Mama Bali, <laughs> as the locals do. And she has a very mothering, nurturing essence about her and she can also be very disciplinarian when she needs to be and you'll hear a lot of stories of people either are like accepted into Bali or they're rejected and they're put through the they're put through the ringer um and you have to learn something hard um but for us I think Mama Bali has really been a nurturing growing space and it's been really powerful for us to also watch how what a unique situation we're in when COVID was really starting to take off and countries started announcing the borders closing, so many people who already knew what Bali's magic and power is, they decided that's where I want to be. No matter where I'm in the world, Bali is where I need to be. And they flew here and they got in just in time. And so Bali has become this crazy Petri dish of incredibly talented 
healers, speakers, professionals, like you name it. This place is like thriving on power and we've built more community through it. And we've gotten to really go into our own crap and do our own work in new ways and then test it with people. Cause we're like, hey, we're all stuck here. Let's try this thing out. What do you think about this new product? What do you think about this? Like, and be messy and play and experiment and new things are being created in this really beautiful space that is more permissioning. We are giving ourselves permission to get messy, to play around, to have fun, to mess up, and then to figure out what the world needs and put it out there. And I'm seeing so much come out of Bali right now that I don't think would have come without this situation and this this craziness. And so there are blessings behind all the chaos. And I know that this is an incredibly stressful time for most of the world. And it feels really, um, I feel very honored to be part of the, the support team that is not feeling the same weight. And I have enough love, time, energy to give to support to the rest of the world right now. Permissioning and play. Yeah. These are some common nuggets. And pleasure. Permission, play, and pleasure. All the P's and, <laughs> and all the acronyms. Will result in what is possible, which is everything. <laughs> Create a little tongue twister out of all these keywords. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Ari, just to close out, can you leave our audience with um, one message or question that they can reflect on beyond marinating and metabolizing this conversation of what yeah, relationship can can be. Yeah. My invitation to everyone right now would be, how can you be more curious? Amazing. <laughs> how can you be more curious? There's just infinity to come beyond that. Yeah, really, because curiosity is just to be alive. And to let go of the stories that you're clinging to so deeply, because most mm-hmm. of those stories no longer serve you. Oh, that deserves a couple of breaths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Ari Cardoz, <laughs> for just the, your capacity to really bridge so many worlds and to language things that can be very challenging and to bring lightness, playfulness, permission, all the peas yeah. into something that's so tender and so deeply at the core of who we all are. So thank you so much. You're welcome and thank you. What a joy. What a joy. And guys, um, if you feel uplifted, shifted in any way, please subscribe, share. Um, we're gonna include Aries work in the show notes so you can stay in touch with her and That'd just be lovely. see what's Reach on the out horizon. to me. Tell me how you how you thought, how you felt about hearing all of this. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I feel very moved and um yeah, it was really a pleasure. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Alt Normal. Thanks for tuning in to the Alt Normal. I'm your host, Tiffany Wen. And this show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow.